0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet. It's time to anchor
1: down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Chip Frederick. We'll talk Vanderbilt baseball. We ended up talking an hour and a half. Which wasn't planned, but in any case, lots of good stuff in here everything from previewing the series with Tennessee to rewinding a pretty disastrous performance in a midweek loss to Indiana State to talking about equipment stuff so we hope you'll enjoy today's edition of the show Chip Frederick joins me it's a Wednesday morning it is a it's just been a weird week for Vanderbilt baseball first of all to start the weirdness, I want to say Vandy was three in D1's regional predictions last week, or make that Baseball Americas, and it's it's five this week after beating South Carolina two or three this weekend, so that one's a little hard to understand if I got my facts right there. Number two, Vanderbilt takes the biggest series of the year that it's played so far, but frankly, the past four games, two have been a disaster. Uh, with two wins in between that, uh, during which Vanderbilt did it pitching shorthanded against a team you don't want to be shorthanded in pitching against. Well, let's start there. How do you make sense of the last week, and where is this headed?
0: Well, you know, last night was uh, when we were talking about the Indiana State. That was a scheduled loss, Chris. That was a scheduled loss. I'm right. Prepared, but we do that, right?
1: Just, there, there was only a 5.8% chance they were going that. to win. So...
0: <laughs> anyway um yeah last night was um strange um in a lot of ways indiana state came in here hungry uh they've lost to vanderbilt numerous times they've been here they're a good team i think they're probably projected to be in the tournament um i don't see them you know they, they're always they kind of seem to be hanging around there they've always been a good program um, it's kind of like, it was a nutty night in the league um you know you saw UAB UAB beat Alabama four to three. Missouri had to scratch and claw to beat Missouri State. They came back and won. You know Georgia beat Clemson, which was kind of a, a shock there. Uh, you had LSU losing the number one team in the country losing to their in-state. Uh, you know, I want to say rival, but a team that loves to beat them any chance they can in Louisiana. And LSU loses eight to five. And so, so there was a lot going on. Vanderbilt on top of it loses ten to two at home and almost gets run rule. So yeah, it was um, you know you saw Elon beating Wake Forest uh, last week, uh, I think it was the week before, and Wake Forest is currently second in the country. They've only lost five games, and and Elon beat them. I'm not saying Elon's a bad team, but they're 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 having a good year. But there's it, it just goes to continue the discussion we have about some balance that we haven't had, um, especially with the transfer portal. The extra COVID years, I mean, I, I didn't check last night, but I'm listening to the broadcast. I know Andrew Allegretta said that the, you know, that Indiana State's a veteran team. have had some guys been there five years. A lot of guys been there a long, long time. So and then coupled with what happened last Friday night, it was just a tale once again of in this in this league, you lose the first game and you and and then you take the next two and you feel like you're gonna jump off a bridge. the fan base wants to on Friday night. you know you and I talked, and we were just like, "What in the world?" Uh, you know and and uh, then you then you have the success the next two. It's just part of this game and and it was a crazy week. Um Vanderbilt took care of business, won the series, and we talked about the end of the show last week. You start stacking series wins. They don't have to be sweeps, but you stack series wins which they did against a team that, you know, South Carolina is just going to try to slug people and beat them with their bats and win 13 to 11. And they're going to do a lot of that the rest of the year. And they they got some deficiencies, but a very good team that's in a position to host a regional in South Carolina. And it, was a, it was a good victory. So you have to kind of look at it from a 30,000-foot view of what you accomplished. Now, last night was disappointing. I know, uh, Tim, uh, I'm, were you there? When I was there, not. Chris, My or, son had a game. Okay, yeah, you. So you didn't have to uh, endure the press conference, but I knew that. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Uh, Post game for, for
1: those who haven't seen it, how did that go? What happened?
0: Uh, he just uh, he uh, he he had a. He said it was um butt kicking in so many terms and um, plain out butt kicking, and said that, which is true. You know, they his he talked about the pitching and how they had to go with. Basically, younger guys are sophomores who didn't pitch a whole lot last year. And um, his comment was, well, you know, those guys, meaning, if you want to say the bottom of their staff, I hate saying that, but just the ones who don't get to pitch as much, quote, they're on scholarship too. Um, and they're expected to, to do their job. So, um, and which is true, you know, I mean, when you're a team, you know, you would expect to – to be able to handle an, uh, an Indiana state. But I mean, you'd have a Ducanich who you would think in a normal situation, he would have pitched. He didn't pitch last night. And you, you had the people who pitched, you know, who had to step up because of the situation with Carter Holton, the situation with Hunter Owen, not pitching. So everybody had to slide up in the rotation for the weekend. And you were basically pitching freshmen and sophomores, um, for this game against Indiana state midweek against a team that was really, really hungry and a team that's really, really good. So, you know, with the exception of Jack Anderson, who mopped it up in the, in the eighth and ninth, it was all freshmen and people who hadn't pitched a whole lot. And when you do that, when you're playing older teams and teams that are good last night's going to happen. And, um, you know, I know Tim was upset. I could watch it, you know, watching the press conference and reading the comments as he should be. He he let that be known. But I think there's a little bit of motivation to get those guys who say, you know, hey, you gotta do your job too. You're you're the program that's at this expectations of what you're supposed to be doing and, and they need to do better.
1: Yeah, I want to get to how that gets turned going forward because I'm i am i am not sure if I'm Tennessee. I want to be playing a, a Vanderbilt team with <laughs> angry Tim Corbing having having popped his head up at the last appearance. Uh you know, there's some fair questions about Tennessee 2 and motivation there uh, to that after getting beat by Tennessee Tech. I'll table that for a minute. But yeah, I mean, first of all, last night I'm looking at the D1 scoreboard. These are all ranked teams that got beat. I'll give you the scores, and the ranked team would be the loser here Northeastern 12, Connecticut 3, although Northeastern also a good team. Indiana 7, Louisville 3, although Indiana also a good team, albeit unranked. Let's see. Texas State 5, UTSA 3, although same thing there. Texas State's a good team. And Louisiana Tech 3, Southern Miss 1. Louisiana 8, LSU 5, Portland 10, Oregon 9. And UC Irvine, which is a good team, twelve UCLA four, and Sacramento State fifteen, Stanford thirteen. That's not one you expect to see with Stanford's pitching, but or what's usually got some pitching. But anyway, point is a lot of teams got beat last night, a lot of ranked teams, and that's not to to take away from how bad it looked. But I, I think you you raise some fair points with the pitching. I mean, these these weren't guys that had been throwing a lot for them lately, and I I do think what you said is accurate. It's sort of, okay, they've got to regroup and get ready for a week in series. They've got to hold some guys in reserve because I would presume we don't see Owen again. I don't know. But, yeah, I think it was just a a weird night, combining circumstance, running into a hot team and just playing horribly, to be honest.
0: Well, and then the unexplicable bunt with the bases loaded uh, that turned out to be a play at the plate, easy put out, and I think it was a third or fourth inning, and then just the wheels fell off. Just literally, Indiana State comes back with a huge, you know, spot in the next inning, and and the game just kind of you were just chasing it the rest of the game, and not sure uh, what was going on. I don't, I don't think it was a called situation. with The bases loaded bunt, which easily, you know, it's just a force out at home, but you just had some unca- you know, Shrek steals third, and they're down seven in the I think oh, was seventh or eighth inning. Yeah, just, you know, and he puts his head in his hands immediately. And, first you know, first you know, and know.
1: second with with one out and you're down, what was it, eight or nine? I mean, why do you yeah. – and this is a guy who's played a bunch of ball. Of of all people, he should have known better.
0: Right. It's just uh, this time of year – and I'm not trying to use this as an excuse. Um, you know, these guys are wrapping up classes and they're probably finishing up projects. And I think the last day of classes is on Monday, next Monday – after the UT series and then you start in exams and we all know that exams at Vanderbilt are a little bit different than most SEC schools and these kids are pushed and, you know, you're emotionally, you come off of, you win two out of three and you, not that they underestimated Indiana State at all, but when it's it's just, um, you're, when you pit guys out there who've, who have limited, amount of innings and experience. I don't care what it is. I don't care what their star status was and who who they played travel ball for and perfect game rating and all that. It's just different against a team that's veteran and hungry and and Indiana State exploited that and they and they um you know they took the game last night. But it, it is a make no mistake, those losses that you read across the board, across the top twenty, top twenty five, there's a reason for that. There there's it's not a fluke it is across the board in this country, you're seeing teams that are more veteran, that you're not going to see the midweek games like you saw five and ten years ago, especially this time of year. And I talked about last week where you're the blowouts or you're getting the teams that are hot and, and um, you know, that, that are continuing to, you know, you're not seeing what you did in years past because of the direct reason why that Austin P has eighteen new players uh, on their team from the portal, the reason why that teams are moving, that you can you, within the conference you're moving when you're having a Cassis going from Vanderbilt to South Carolina and immediately filling a need. It's just it's the way it is, and um, it makes baseball better. If you're a, if you're one of those teams, it makes them more competitive, and it makes them makes the game probably a little more. Uh, easier to uh, relate to on a fan basis that there's not blowouts and that the teams are getting better but it sure does uh you know if you're if you're a top program it makes you consider like who am i going to schedule uh you want to do that do that balance of you know you want to get some guys some work and you want to you know get your rpa up your strength schedule but you know what you mentioned a don't and you have a better grasp of that um rpis i don't see how tennessee for example is still in the top i mean i know they're 19th but i mean my goodness if they if, if this weekend they fall and we get a two out of three or a sweep I'm not saying it's going to happen but if that happens i mean they're in deep trouble of even making the i mean they got to start thinking about making the sec tournament um not just the ncaa tournament and and things seem to be they got players hurt and it, it just goes to show you uh there was a great article by Estes in the Tennessee this morning and his comment line, and I don't know if it was the first line or if it was the title of the article was you know u t s team last year wrote checks that this year's team can't cash, and wow, that rings true that, that was a great that that point when you talk all that and you do the antics and you you trash talk and you um you, the fan base gets all electric, which is great. They, they're allowed to do that, but that passes on. A lot of those guys are gone, but the expectations that programs have, even in this portal area era, is that um, you better be able to take it when, you, when it comes time that you falter, and that's what's happened to a lot, some teams around the country, and UT is one of them, uh, that they, they better be able to react when they do get razzed by the fan bases or times go bad. They better be able to rebound from those
1: times. Couple things last night. If you if you hadn't checked the RPI in a day, uh you're in for some surprises. Um Indiana State moved all the way up from nineteen to thirteen with beating Vanderbilt last night. And Tennessee was the shocker. Tennessee moved down seventeen spots in the RPI to forty by losing to Tennessee Tech last night. Interesting. Yeah.
0: And and would you say that Kentucky's RPI being number one? Is it the fact that they've played LSU? They've played – I mean, is, is that is that where they're getting the benefit? Because I'm trying to read across – you know, I know they're a good team, that they're valid to be in that. It's just shocking a little bit to me that they're the number one RPI. And it, I guess it's because they've already played a certain the, – the, the, unlike Vanderbilt, has Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Georgia as three of their opponents. Um. Who has Kentucky played? I'm trying to, to – because, there's, I mean, I know they played some – they played Indiana State three times, and that helps them because they swept them, meaning Kentucky. But uh, I, I just – I know the computer does a lie. It's the formula. But when you see their schedule and who they've beaten and, you know, Southern Illinois, Wright State, Elon, I mean, those aren't any slouches. But um, they've also played Alabama, Missouri, and Mississippi State as well. I, I just – it's just weird how the formula works, to me.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at Kentucky's resume, and I think Kentucky is a better team than it's being given credit for for being. Um, I, I've seen people that in their projections that had Kentucky not as a as a national top eight seed right now, and I get that the, a lot of it is looking forward and and not believing and not thinking Kentucky's getting that up there. But like you gotta gotta deal with with what's in front of you. I think Kentucky to me is a if I'm doing it, and I am actually doing it right now for my SEC channel, I haven't finished my work, but I've got Kentucky right now as a as a top five overall national seed based on the metrics the committee's going to use. Now, let me explain Kentucky to you a little bit. And, I, and again, I think Kentucky's a better team than, than it's given credit for being. To me, it's a, a top ten team in the country. Uh, I don't have a problem with ranking there, but, okay – Here's here's how Kentucky. I'm not gonna say it game the RPI, but this is just how it's turned out. You play three games at LSU, which is four in the RPI. You're probably gonna move up. Um, even losing all three, you, you you still do okay there. They played three games against Indiana State, which is a good team, as Vanderbilt found out yesterday. I, I'd think Indiana State. If I'm if I'm just ranking them, I'm, I'm probably putting them closer to 30 than I am to 13. So, I think that gamed a little bit. Missouri's 23 in the RPI right now. I don't think Missouri's that good, although I think Missouri's a good team. Alabama, 24 in the RPI. I do actually think Alabama is that good. Those were on the road. Mississippi State at 26. Um, you know, the, the RPI does not jive with what, what I think State is as a team, although you look at some of the predictive computers, and State's higher there than I would have thought three at Georgia, which is 30 in the RPI, and Elon, three games at Elon, which is 33 in the RPI. I don't think Elon's anywhere near that good, but the RPI loves that team. So I think there's a little bit of – and Xavier, another team. They beat Xavier, which is 45 in the RPI. Another team I don't think is that good. So there's – again, I think Kentucky's a good team, but I think there's a little bit of smoke and mirrors to the RPI there.
0: Yeah, and the ten the ten and three record against the top twenty five in the RPI definitely helps them. Um, they haven't had any losses in the two hundred plus. Um, unlike Vanderbilt, has one. Uh, so yeah, it, it does. You have to really dive into there and 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 see why um how how the system works. And it's a little bit confusing, but we'll we'll find out next weekend just uh, what their status is. I know they're a good team. It just goes to show you the top two teams. In the RPI in the country, Kentucky and South Carolina are two teams that, last year at least, were two teams you you kind of wanted to see on your schedule. Um, of, co- of course, that was when we went to Columbia last year and, and after running off some good performances and kind of started a little downfall. But it's just interesting how that works, Chris, how those two teams, especially Kentucky, has been a bottom feeder they've had some they've had some years or they've done well but at least the last two or three years where it has just been teams have had their way especially vanderbilt against kentucky and now you're seeing those two tops in the country even even ahead of wake forest at number three and lsu at four and arkansas five so uh, we'll i guess we'll see with our own eyes in two weeks
1: by the way, I'm I'm looking at the thing that Warren Nolan does, where it talks about what you need to do in your next game, and the games that, that have been played against teams you played. What needs to happen there to move you up or down in the RPI? And uh, Kentucky's got a massive lead at number one in the RPI, and Carolina's got a, a pretty substantial lead at number two. Um, Overwake, although that could, that could change with a bad weekend for one and a good weekend for the other. But it's amazing how far Kentucky is in front of the field in the RPI. Vandy is in a spot at seven where it's – This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance it's relaxing, it's friendly. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. Not, it's it's going to take more than one or two games either way to move up or down. Um, a pretty good gap between it and number 8 North Carolina State and a decent gap between it and Virginia and Arkansas. It, it's closer to moving up and, and also LSU – at four, it's closer to moving up than it is moving down, but it's kind of in a spot where there's a little bit of a distance either way. And that's kind of what happened to Tennessee yesterday, is Tennessee was in a spot where I think the RPI was 23, but it was just barely ahead of some other teams. And and when it took a really bad loss, and Tech is, what, now 11 and 24, so that was a really bad loss, it just it completely tumbled down the rankings. And the scary thing for Tennessee and we'll get into this series in a minute. I know we've got a few more available things to unwind, but Tennessee in the RPI, I'm looking at impact games here on Warren Nolan, and it it could um, it could easily drop another five or six spots. Um, it could also easily move up another I don't know ten, but that that's kind of where the Vol's are at this point.
0: I mean, you, you look at Tennessee two and eleven. Against the top twenty-five RPI, and see that that's that's the
1: thing. When you start digging into the resume, looking at that, I don't think they're in the NCAA tournament field if it's picked today.
0: Probably not. They got some work to do, Um, and of course they they had a brutal run where they had you know it was Murder's road, so to speak, and it continues this weekend for them. We talked about how the SEC is kind of like that; it'll eat you up and spit you out, and that's what's happening to them right now. But yeah, they they've got a. that resume for them, especially just on the road. I mean, they're one and nine. that's just it's it's so different from what they've been the last several years. they were they would go on the road and take their their traveling show, and it was the the circus and it was coming to town, and they were on it. And it's just been a direct difference. And you know and uh, you just wonder if not really playing anybody, Chris. Or, I mean, they just sure they played Arizona. They lost three to one in the opener, but You look down at their schedule, and maybe they're going to have to reanalyze who they play. Um, The Gonzagas of the world, the Alabama A&M, and and the Moorhead states, that's really not getting you anywhere um, early on and testing to see what you got. And and that seems like that's kind of what happened to the Vols this year, especially. Just have, I mean, one and nine on the road compared to what they've been in the past is pretty amazing.
1: Well, in Tennessee's defense, uh, the Vols are playing – Probably the most brutal SEC schedule I've ever seen. Um, so you probably wanted to build yourself some grace in there. And, and Frank, like, if Tennessee is six and nine right now in the league, just get one more win elsewhere. They've lost some some close ones, and, and maybe take another game or two out of conference. You know, they're right there where we're not having this conversation, but it, it is what it is.
0: Yeah, they've got some kit. They you know they had second baseman one out last night. He's in a boot. Pitcher went out last night holding his elbow and, and um, leaving the game. And so things are reeling for them. They're just going to have to shortstop. Coveted shortstop hasn't played in, what, two weeks? and um,
1: Something like you that. Just
0: kinda, you got to wonder what's going on there, too. So, they, of course, they probably will get it all together this weekend. Hope not. But things like that happen. And they just need a spark. They're playing at home. And perhaps in their case, they'll get it done. But, uh, uh Things do not look good for them. The last four game, going on a four four game skid. That's the last thing you want to do is you lose to, you know, Tennessee Tech has beat them now two years in a row midweek, and uh, you, you get swept on the road. You come home, you think you're going to rebound and get some good vibes going, and, and, that, and that just didn't happen in Knoxville last night.
1: Yeah, I can't decide if you want to catch Tennessee where it is, if, if that's the best thing in the world or the worst thing in the world.
0: Yeah. And, and, um, I see your point. Um, they, you know, this is, I don't want to say it's a do or die weekend for them, but I mean, if, if you, if you're Tennessee and you, you know, you go to five and 13 or six and 12, I mean, it, it could get really, really rough. I mean, you're, it, it is a definite uphill climb and Vitello, I think, you know, you would think, Based on his personality, what you see, uh, that his persona that he puts out there, that he would have the ability to motivate those guys. But in today's kid, and I hate saying you know today's kid, quote unquote, but it's just it's different, and and uh, you don't know what's going on in the locker room. You don't know if there's any, any dissension or people you know falling on deaf ears, or you just you never know, and you usually find those things out later. But uh, it's certainly. When you question a team's toughness, Chris, like he did publicly uh, in Fayetteville on Sunday and you know he's looking for some toughness and not sure how tough his team is and and then they come home and lay an egg against a team that's 60 miles or whatever to the west um, in Tennessee Tech, that doesn't show me a whole lot for what's going on in the locker room. I could be wrong, but it certainly doesn't show um, – that toughness that he's desiring.
1: Yeah, I know they've got some chemistry problems. I just don't know what they are. Um, I saw an interesting tweet, and I don't have it. But I think it was from Bryce Denton's brother, uh, who is also Zane Denton's brother, um, talking about finger pointing and some stuff like that. Um, Again, I don't have it in front of me, but I did read it a couple of times, and then I think it then got deleted. I've heard... Some of the same stuff privately. I don't know what their issues are. But you wonder, and this is what Tim Corbin got criticized for last year, right? Why aren't they going harder after people in the portal? And look, they did go after some guys in the portal, notably Paul Skeens. And and my goodness, if, if they landed Paul Skeens, uh, they'd be the number one team in the country right now. And they landed RJ Shrek, who's been their best hitter this year and he's been brilliant in conference games. But Tim's thing, as you know, is this is, it's building culture. It is giving your your Calvin Hewitts, your Troy Lanives, your um TJ McKenzie's, your your Jack Bolgers, your Parker Nolan's, your Jack Anderson's your Sam Leboke's, your Thomas Schultz's guys that have been with you for a long time. It is giving those guys a chance in that third and fourth year on campus to get some playing time where in some cases those guys didn't always get it. Or in other times where those guys got it early and they've been team leaders and part of the culture that he likes. And again, that broke different ways. You, you've got a, a guy named Jack Bolger who – who doesn't ever come out of the lineup for any reason these days? It seems like, and you got a guy in TJ McKenzie on the other end, or, or Linneve on the other end, where you know they might get a pinch hitting at bat once a week, but you just sense it with this team. It, it feels like it's enjoying baseball more than it has in a while. He talked about all the off field intangibles, the grade point averages, the the things like that. It, it just you could even tell in, in 2021, something seemed a little bit off about that team. And sure enough, you had kids missing curfew and stuff like that in Omaha that were prominent players. Uh, you had Kumar Rocker who looked like he would rather be anywhere some days but you know, talking to the media after, after games, which he didn't do a lot. There were just some things with that team that were off. I, I don't sense any of that this year. I could be wrong. Every team's got issues, but he has built a culture on good locker rooms and guys that are happy and rooting for the team's success, whether they are playing or not. Uh, meanwhile, and I'm not again. I'm not pointing fingers at any specific players or, or claiming specifics, but Vitello basically approached the off like it were fantasy baseball. In other words, okay, there's there's a guy over here that, that hit this last year and we can plug him in over here. And there's a guy over there that hit and fielded this last year, and we can plug him in over there. Last year's team with them, they're playing Trey Lipscomb and some guys like that who, did, who bided their time and then got their chance to play. And that worked really well for them. This year, I'm sure you had some of the same case where you had guys waiting to play, and they got recruited over. And again, I'm not telling you that's the culprit. I don't know what's going on but you look at the results, you hear the things, you, you hear the things Vitello says and they just sound like something is way off. I have to think there's something in how both those rosters got managed in the offseason that in one case is paying dividends and in the other case um, is doing something else.
0: Yeah, well they got they got two guys in Vitello and Corbin to go about it totally two different ways. I mean, almost the antithesis of each other. Uh, I talked about that last year around this time where it's almost like anything that Vitello does, he does. I'm not saying he does it on purpose, <clears throat> excuse me, but it, it is a way that, you know, Tim Corbin for years used to go into Knoxville. Uh, uh, he built a fence around the state at sea with the exception of Memphis to get a few guys there, but he could go and get anybody he wanted to especially that um, strong program at Farragut High School in Knoxville. I saw, you know, a kid just committed to Tennessee out of Farragut, left-handed pitcher who, who's committed for, uh, I think it's maybe 2024. Um, and so that's happening. Vitello's able to get some of those kids now that he wouldn't be able to get, but it's his way of doing it, And and you either are attracted to it or you're not. And, you know, the things that – the 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 portal is almost just it it creates if you're Tim Corbin and you do that and you dip into the portal and you get four or five guys or six guys if I'm a player and I'm not saying that this has happened but if if it were to happen you're almost saying that all the stuff that coach says to us is a lie you know you you, you, you yeah. he, he talks about you got a your the positions are rented uh, they're not, uh, they're not uh, given to you. Uh, and by the way, I don't know if you know, on national television, John Williamson said the same thing, uh, about this bowling team when he was interviewed after the ladies won the national championship. He said that line, but of course he was, he worked under Tim Corbin, but, uh, when he first came on before he became the bowling coach, but that line of, of not of renting positions, not owning them and that you could lose it at any time and playing with a hot hand, and you bring in five or six guys in the portal, then all the guys are going to go. Well, what are you talking about? You know, you've been preaching that you know positions aren't earned, that positions have to be earned, that and and not given to anybody. Well, if you're going to go get a guy in the portal, you're in order to get them there. You're going to have to almost guarantee them that you're going to start or you're going to be a you know frontline pitcher. And I don't think his staff just buys into that because I think it. It, it definitely is against his locker room, how he wants to have the locker room, which is so important to him. And just the difference of what, as you just mentioned with Tennessee, what they've done and, and, you know, Huna comes in and, and he's ineligible to being in the year. And why is he ineligible? And then now he's hurt. And you wonder if that ruffle, ruffles some feathers. Um, it's just two ways, <clears throat> two different guys trying to, to go about ways, um, one's real brash and one acts like their crazy uncle, and the other one's more like their second dad. And uh, and the, their approaches, for the most part, the last couple of years, UT's been successful, and we know Vanderbilt's been consistent. But you just wonder if if it if it uh, catches up to you. You know, Chris, <clears throat> I've watched some youth baseball here lately, and my son plays. And he's he's a middle schooler, so he's seventh grade and doesn't play a whole lot for his team, but he's on the team, made the team, and um, just watching. I, I texted a friend of mine who used to play for Vanderbilt. And he's a high school coach here locally at a high school, and and I texted him at the game, and I was watching these two teams play, and I and I said to myself, I, I texted him. And I said, when did everything change in baseball? about just the attitudes. And I know you got a youngster. You haven't seen this probably. He's in third grade. I think he said just everybody walks around and it's, there's no hustling and it's Joe cool. And you got the oven mitt in the back of your pants, the sliding mitt that you wear when you get on base and these kids are in the third grade and they got sliding mitts on. And it's just, and he, and so I texted my friend who, again, he played, played with me, uh, Alan Purdy, who good shortstop when I played, he was a freshman when I was a senior. And I said, how do you do this? And he just said, it's changed, man. The last couple of years, it's different. It's just the mentality of baseball. It's just a very Joe cool image. Everybody's got, there are, uh, I hate to get, give you um, something to look forward to, Chris, but there are fourth and fifth grade players who do celebrations at second base when they get a double now. They have their own little dance. And that's trickled down, of course, from, from – and, I, again, I don't mind enthusiasm and stuff, but just, you know, gosh, it's just – for a traditionalist, when you to see young kids do that. And how, how this relates to Tennessee, I'll go back to what I said of cash and checks that those guys last year wrote, and they're coming due, and they're trying to cash them as far as the way they're handling the game. UT made it the College World Series last year. They, they had a, no, they, excuse me, they didn't two years ago. They did. They got eliminated last year at home, but they've had success this last couple of years and they've done it that way. And when things switch and they turn on you, it can be, it can be payback 20 fold if you don't watch it and things kind of the baseball karma. I'm not saying for anybody listening here that I don't think you should be enthusiastic. I'm not saying I'm the get off your, my front lawn guy about baseball and, but I am a traditionalist and I believe that things come around. You got to treat the game with respect and you got you gotta earn the things that come to you. But it just seems like as we're talking about Tennessee, that's a little bit of what's going on up there. They could get it turned around, yes, but it it is to me, that's what's going on up in Knoxville. And they still got time to turn around. I just hope it's not this weekend,,
1: yeah, yeah without being really specific, they made a <laughs> Made a lot of enemies last year and it i think it's had some ramifications for them but um does your does your third
0: grader have a sliding mitt
1: no but no. and and i am i'm grateful like we have we're not going to put him in travel ball until he's probably 12 or 13 he's he's been asked to play travel ball since he was five and, and not like not like my son is any great shakes but he's a decent ball player but you know he comes home and instead of throwing pitches every day. he He's outside shooting hoops because he got a basketball goal for his birthday two months ago. And that's the first... Like, you can't get him... <laughs> you can't get him in the house long enough beyond him changing into shorts and a t-shirt or whatever and going out and shooting. And he does that all day that's and he great. plays with friends. And he's, and he's just being a kid. I mean, he's, he's barely nine. And we've got a, a coach. We've been sticking with the same rec coach for about three years because... This coach, is he takes it in stride. He'll he'll get on him a little bit sometimes, not like screaming at him or anything, but he'll tell him, hey, you need to pay attention, you need to hustle. But it's one of these things where a lot of times if you're playing in the infield one inning, you're playing in the outfield the next, and everybody gets a chance to play because we're not trying to make the majors tomorrow. And I've I've been deliberate in – Chris and I have been deliberate in keeping him in that kind of situation because I think as a dad – and we're getting way off topic here. I do have a, a transition from this to a place you were going. My my biggest thing is I just want to make sure by time it actually matters that he doesn't hate baseball anymore, if that makes sense. Um, and if if, if he doesn't I make it. the majors because we didn't have him in travel ball <laughs> at, at nine, then I'll I'll worry about that later. But I got it. I got yeah, it. But I, I will say this: um, I was joking around with him one day. Um. We were listening to Edwin Diaz music, the the Timmy trumpet. I said, "Um, you want me to you want me to play that when you come in to pitch?" Um, and he's like, "Yes, yes, I do." <laughs> and so now, like every time before the game, which I think it's kind of funny because it's 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 like all the things you said about taking baseball very seriously. The, the league we're in is is one where, and I apologize, I'm getting way off topic, but like. Generally, most of the coaches share the, the same um, values, although we did have a, a coach last year who pitched his kid over the pitch limit. I know this because I track pitches in a game for both teams, and he was about six over, and And we said, hey, your guy's at your limit. Like, no, we're keeping count, and, and we got him under. And I'm like, I'm watching your dugout. Nobody over there is charting pitches. Right, right. Um, and and then then we win the game on a walk off. Um. And then they go after the fact, protest the bat to the umpire, and they call him out because the the kid who was hitting, oh, Lord. It, it played in an open league where those bats were legal, and and he used it in the game. And and I'm like, thanks a lot, jerk. You <laughs> you, you can't track your own pitcher, and I know I caught you doing it. Right. And you keep him in the game, you know, when you're trying to protect an arm, but then you. You, you protest about after the fact, after we walk you off, which we were going <laughs> to do anyway. But yeah, that's, you see all kinds of stuff, but I, I, I do, <laughs> my kid is the only one who has music and I did it kind of as a joke. I, I just right. think it's funny because it's like, these are nine year olds. Uh, but he's like, yeah, dad play. And then like every time before the game, he'll come out of the dugout and he'll come up to me in the stands and go, dad, don't forget to play my music. If I come into pitch.
0: Well, yeah, and I'm I'm not against people having fun and doing. I, I'm not I'm not that. Uh, that's not what I'm saying, but it does. It just it creates – It's it's just a lot of laziness, a lot of walking around, a lot of uh, stuff that you know. Pure baseball traditionalists kind of sit there and go, "How? When did this happen?" And and it's been confirmed by maybe a couple coaches who coached a lot of travel summer ball for the last ten fifteen years, and they said it's a trend that's happened. So, you know the the. A lot of these rules that have been changed – I don't know if you saw the rule changed um, midweek last week. Kendall Rogers kind of put it out there that the contact period for baseball now has been switched. Now, I guess it was – I don't know what they're, how they're retroactively going to do this, but they're now going to make to where football and basketball are the only two sports in NCAA Division One where you can have contact before a kid's junior year, before baseball was won. So you had – Speaking of Vitello, some players up there, kids in the eighth and ninth grade wearing jerseys and verbally committing, quote unquote, to Tennessee when they're in the ninth grade. I know Vitello got a verbal commitment from a kid at a local high school here, a private school when he was in ninth grade. He's a third baseman. I don't know if that kid's going to live up to that. I haven't heard his name recently, Um, but these coaches, again, Tony Vitello being one who He's brash. He's he does. He just throw a bunch of offers out there, get a bunch of verbal commitments. Well, these kids don't know what they're. First of all, a college coach should not have to feel the pressure of knowing if a kid who's 12 or 13 years old is going to project to be the same as when he's 18. And that and so the pressure has now been taken off these coaches, which a guy like Tim Corbin will probably love. You know, instead of chasing since everyone else is doing it, and everyone else, you don't want your rivals making offers to top-flight players. Now, the it it, you cannot have contact on the baseball side, a commitment. You can have face-to-face conversations until August first, going into the player's junior year. And the old rule was it was wild west. Eighth grade, ninth grade, whatever, verbal commitments. and now baseball, basketball and football are the only two that you can do that. Now I think that should change, too, because again, you don't how can you project that? And it allows to build a relationship and really evaluate these kids when they're juniors and seniors in high school rather than when're in their eighth and ninth grade. I think it's impossible. I think it's a great move by the NCAA. I think they need to do it for football and basketball, too. And those are the moneymakers, and it's probably why that's not going to happen with the AAU circuit and the travel ball circuit, seven on seven leagues and all that. But I don't know if you noticed that rule. I don't think we talked about that, but that was Rogers kind of tweeted about that. And you know, I wonder how they're going to do that retroactively if they've gotten verbal commitments from sophomores in high school and now they can't talk to them until their junior year, August first. How that's going to work? I don't know if you saw any of those tweets or not, but I was going. Yeah, to see
1: I did. That. I was going to ask you about it. I t- to me that's that probably helps Vanderbilt for a number of reasons. I sure. mean they're getting I mean Vanderbilt's getting its share of commitments from from freshmen and sophomores too and, and a lot I wonder if that hurt them last year. I mean a lot of those kids have been committed for a while and I don't think several of them were probably ever coming here. Um although I think a few of them continued to talk a good game to the staff right up till you know the draft day, and then all of a sudden you're seeing guys come off the board earlier than you thought might, and you're like, okay, what's going on here? Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, oh, you, I think, you, yeah, you, you can't. Yeah. I mean, it just
0: if you're an assistant coach, you gotta love it. If you're a recruiting coordinator, you gotta love it. It's not that you don't have to evaluate those kids. Sure, they know the top flight programs know who the the best twelve year old in Georgia is probably, and you know yeah. the uh, the top they they know it. But there just can't be that communication now. You can't email. You can't DM. You can't uh, be on campus. And and you can be on campus and go to a camp, but there can be no talk about an offer or commitment or verbal commitment. Um, You you look on those websites now. You you search Vanderbilt's 2025 and 2026 commitments. They're there. But it's because I think they've had to do it. And because everybody else, you can't just sit there and let everybody else do it. And you don't do it now. Supposedly, if they follows the rules, that's going to be the case as far as the new rule going forward.
1: Well, and in the meantime, you had the, you know, they couldn't get the third paid assistant for forever. So you just wonder about the demands on the job and and the time and and then throw the portal on top of everything else. Right. Exactly. All right, let's, uh, let's back up a minute I want us to hit some topics with the the baseball season. You brought this up before the show off air. I thought it was a good place to go. So I want to hit this. I want to hit the series this weekend. And then I want us to do the mailbag, which I darn near forgot about. So we are a little past the midway point. What is standing out to you right now about this team this year and and maybe where it exceeded expectations and, and maybe if it's fallen short anywhere?
0: Well, 15 games in, it's I always like to look at it, you know, halfway point before I even assess. But 13 and two is certainly something that uh, we talked about this last week. That after some non-conference games early in the season, we wouldn't have thought that this team would have been 13 and two at this point. So that's a surprise, um, I think, a pleasant surprise. Um, I think the consistency in the lineup. Has been a little surprising to me that there hadn't been many variations in the last month. I think it's they've rolled out the same nine pretty much, or the eight. You know, you got the pitcher, of course, but um, position-wise, you see the consistency of having. You know, you'll see uh, Calvin Hewitt come in in the seventh inning. That's pretty much a normal deal. So, and, you know, we're talking about Tim being a creature of habit. Um, but it's been a little more consistent as far as the order, who goes out there, than I would have thought uh, at this time of year. 13 and 2 is a good record, uh, very good record. Uh, and at this point, had two bad losses: the Central Arkansas loss. And then I don't know if last, last night's not as bad, but just the way it appears, being at home, almost getting run-ruled. Uh, pitching staff-wise, I think my mid-season assessment has been. You know certainly certainly, they they miss Andrew Dukanich. would like to have him in there for that midweek role. And perhaps on the weekend, um Hunter Owen has been a pleasant surprise, although that wasn't really a surprise to you. I think you said some people were saying he maybe had the best stuff going in the fall. Um, you know, Carter Holton <clears throat> being injured was a little surprising, not pitching. And then the way he he came about this past weekend and didn't get out of the first inning. That's a little bit of a surprise to me. Um, hope he can rebound and get those guys going. I'm not sure if he's going to throw this weekend or not. So I think uh, pitching staff-wise, top to bottom, I think last night kind of exposed the bottom half of the, rot- of the of the bullpen, so to speak. Uh, but they're young, and, and that's to be expected, as I said, against a a very good Indiana State team. But um, offensively, uh, I would say a little bit surprised on the midseason evaluation that – you know, Diaz, after starting the season with five errors, I don't know the last time he's had an error. He had majority of those five early on the first couple weekends. He settled down. It's When they made that switch and they sort of rearranged the chairs on the deck, I think that was a good move um, that uh, Corbin and staff did. So that's kind of my team evaluation Um you know, Enrique Bradfield getting, uh, caught four times stealing. You can say that somewhat, um, a surprise, although what he's been doing the last two years has been short of phenomenal, hardly ever getting caught. Um, this team above average speed, they've they're 59 of 73 in stolen bases for the year. I think that's on track to be a little bit better than they were last year, a little bit more overall speed. Um, I think top to bottom that they've had in the last couple of years. So that's just my thoughts. You might throw some in there, but, uh, at the halfway point, uh, I think they're in good shape.
1: Yeah. One surprise. And if I were critical of one thing they've done in the midweeks, I don't know how you take this guy out of the lineups, but Chris Maldonado, I feel like he doesn't get talked about enough just because it feels to me, and I'd have to look this up. I, I may be dead wrong. He's just so consistent. It's like if he goes one for four one day, he goes two for four the next day. There's usually a double in there somewhere, it seems like, or, a, or an extra base hit. This kid in the SEC, he started 14 games. He's hitting 365 with a 452 on base and a 635 slugging. That's just in SEC games. He just has been so consistent, which is really hard for a freshman to do. And to me, that's one of the surprises because remember, he wasn't even in the lineup. I don't know, for the first three weekends of the season, maybe?
0: Yeah, he wasn't. I mean, yeah, he's a doubles machine. Um, he's got 11 on the season, and Bastine and Shrek have 12 just uh, just below him being Maldonado. But, uh, yeah, he, he's he been a pleasant surprise. I should have mentioned him. I mean, how he came in as a freshman, and, and Tim Corbin says he's still, even though he's in that DH role consistently, he's one of the first guys out there taking ground balls. You know, before the game, weekends, whatever he can, hitting in the cage, and 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 he's going to be one. I think that in years to come will be one that plugged in and and get his share of playing time. But the other one would being the, um, another thing we didn't talk about how you know we had the beginning of the year with Calvin Hewitt starting and left, and and how Polk has kind of inserted himself in that position um, in his spot. It was uh, you know of course Calvin Hewitt started off the year red hot um he's played in 32 games so he's played in 32 of the 37 games it's just a lot of those have been in utility but um you know polk has worked hard he's hitting 293 just under 300 and and he has some good numbers too so polk uh, offensively i would say austin polk and diaz have had their share of of stepping in in roles that some people might not have thought they would have been in this early and 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 they've done well offensively and uh, Diaz, cooled a little bit of late, but um, those three have have stood out as far as, not surprises, but maybe a little ahead of where you thought they'd be.
1: I'm going to give you one little thing to watch. and First of all, this is the odd stat line of the year. I I don't know that you could do this again as anybody and repeat this, but Matt Polk has had 49 at-bats in SEC play. He's been hit four times. He's taken zero walks. Zero walks. So that would be Forty nine at bats. Add in four hit by pitches. That's fifty three plate appearances without a single walk in the SEC. You almost think you take one by accident. Also, he's only hit two home runs. He's only struck out eleven times. So that means he's put thirty six balls in play, and they've had a ton of runners on base in the league. As you may not, as you may have noticed, he's yet to hit into a double play this year.
0: Yeah, that's pretty interesting in, in the um, league. And he's in only East. walked. Yeah, and he's only walked three times overall the whole season if you do the non-conference games too. So that carries on uh, over. But this team does not see I, – I would think in years past I've moaned and complained and given my two cents about this team. And if you just an overall offensive at the midway point analysis, this team has made some adjustments. And it looked like that happened after the before the Belmont game – uh, at the sound stadium, but they do not strike out as much. They, they are more aggressive early in the count. They foul pitches off and make contact, put the ball in play more than they have the last two seasons that I know drove a lot of people crazy. Um, and you just don't see the strikeouts. The numbers are there. They're, they're still, you know, you've got vast leads the team in strikeouts with 35 and Nolan's right below him at thirty. 36 best time, 35 Nolan. But there does not seem to be – the numbers aren't as high and you see a lot more making pitchers on the other team work, fouling pitches off, and definitely um, when you get fastball, green light fastball early in the count, these guys are attacking.
1: Yeah, Nolan I think has been a little underappreciated. SEC play, he's hitting 286, 403, 589, has only made one error – and here's one that I would watch as a if something changes with the lineup. Here's where it could be. I, I mentioned Polk; uh, he's hitting 327 in the league, but he's only got a 370 on base because he doesn't ever walk. It's only 11 at bats, uh, and then add in and well, this guy hasn't walked either. although he's been hit twice, so that's 13 plate appearances. Calvin Hewitt, who always comes in the seventh inning for defense anyway. He's hitting 545, 615, 636 in the league. So that might be the one to watch is if you see a change and a starting position somewhere, that would seem to be based on stats. I mean, the other one would be Bulger and Espinall, but he seems committed to have Bulger's bat in there every day regardless of he's, whether he's catching, which he usually is, although you're seeing Espinall getting those midweek starts a lot, which is probably smart given the wear and tear on a catcher.
0: Yeah, and I would say it also a different, something different a little bit than last year. I talked about the consistency lineup that this team is, that's thrown out there. Pretty much you can guess what it's going to be as far as the position players. Different than years past, and I just noticed this, Vanderbilt's only played 15 players on that as far as at bats. Only 15 players have gotten at bats throughout the season. You've got your sort of nine regulars, and then you have. Um six more after that. Seems like that number's been a little higher in years past. More guys getting an opportunity, but there's there's three, four, five guys on that team who hadn't gotten a single at bat all year. And um don't you think that's a little bit different than years past? I'm not sure yeah. what that tells you, but I, I bet that's the
1: lowest number in a while.
0: Yeah, and you've got one kid, uh Arius, is that how you say it? Ivan Ari- he's 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 gotten in five games, but he has two at-bats, and Troy Eve only has eight at-bats. So really, you, the majority of the, of the at-bats are coming from 13 people, which I would – if I had to guess, I think that's a – comparatively record low compared to years past.
1: Yeah, I, I bet it would be two. Okay, let's look towards the Tennessee series. Uh, presumably Christian Moore won't play. He is hit in the league 255, 394, 353, but I think he's maybe been their best hitter on the whole. Tennessee's got one guy with an on-base percentage north of 400 in league play who's a regular. That's Hunter Inslee. He's hitting 333, 423, 467. I don't have a single guy slugging higher than 467 in the league, which is a far cry from where they were a year ago.
0: Yeah, I mean, that was the article that I talked about this morning in the paper that um, Estes wrote. I mean, it's just where they were last year and all those categories they are at the bottom. And um, they still have the arms. I mean, I think they... When you talk about league play, I don't have it in front of me. How's the, their ERA and league play? Because I'm just looking at an overall. But you got Beam, Dolander, and Burns. That and that's a that's a formidable punch still. And don't think that um, you know they're, they're going to be this this series for them is always contentious. I mean they they've had the their way uh, here in Nashville with with how they handle us here and at the Hawk. But there's a lot of uh I've got some friends who are up there and close to the baseball program and a cousin of mine who's he's close to the program of all the sports, but I saw him over the spring break and and they're pointing to this. You know, they think that Corbin and, and um Van Horn are the the ones who turned Vitello in and they're convinced that, that that's that's um that that they're the culprits. Whether they are or not, I don't I I really don't know and don't care. Uh but they're going to be, the Hornets are going to be circling there. There's going to be, I think a lot of, um, there'll be a big crowd and, and I would expect, and if I'm Tim and his staff to just have the guys on being razor sharp and not listening to what's being said from the stands uh, and, and from the other dugout, because I know there's going to be a lot of finger pointing, you know, the message boards and, 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 the media and all that, I think, are going to probably make this and uh, stew it up as far as being something involved in. When you're a player, you have to just zone all that out and have tunnel vision of what you're doing and not listen to all that. I think these guys are, have been in environments before, but you know they've been to, they've been to Starkville this year and had their way with them, um, and that really just took the crowd out of it. Had great crowds there, not as much as what they had against Ole Miss, where they I think broke the. Single game re- uh, attendance record this past weekend with sixteen or eighteen thousand for that park, but um, I think they're they're going to walk into an environment that's going to be pretty contentious, and they need to just stay focused and and know uh, that they could do a lot of damage to their rival this weekend if they can win the series or um, you don't talk about the sweep, but do that that would be great too. But um, this is um, UT is they're going to be fighting for their lives and trying to to rebound, and and um, they got some guys hurt and uh, we'll, we'll see if that, that translates. But I don't know if you'd heard any of that from your sources, but I, I, do, think, I do predict it'll be pretty pretty interesting environment here for the boy Vandy boys this weekend.
1: Yeah, I can confirm. Uh, I'm not saying they did it. I, I don't know the truth one way or the other, but they believe it was Van Horn, and, of course, Vitella worked for Van Horn, he was his recruiting coordinator in, in Arkansas, which um, <laughs> I think some friction there was their scholarship chart was a little bit of a mess when he left, given all the commitments they'd taken. Uh, and right. I think that's where some of the friction between those two started. And, uh, yeah, they, they they think Van Horn and Corbin are, are where the fingers are being pointed for from them being turned into the NCA, which I think has been a big distraction. I suspect that is – that I mean, what it had to be when – when Vitello got suspended for, a, what was it, a weekend series that the school made the suspension on. But, yeah, I mean, the big issue, and I said this all last year, everybody was talking about how they were hitting, and that lineup and, and the numbers were numbers for the ages. Uh, they put up some numbers that, in all games, we probably won't see touch for a while, especially when you would hope the NCAA... Does some things about the the ridiculous offensive numbers that are being produced, uh, but I've you've heard that rant before. But I I have a feeling you know last year's team put up some offensive numbers that you're probably not going to see again for a while. But I always said I thought what was in, unbelievably impressive with them. I thought that the pitching got overshadowed, given what those offensive numbers were a year ago. Well. This year their their team ERA in the league is five sixteen, which is not bad for the SEC, especially with the schedule they have played. Now here's the problem or one of the problems. They've given up twenty three earned runs in league play. So that's a run and a half per game unearned that they're giving up. And you just can't do that in the SEC and expect to win.
0: No, and they're and they're they're not playing well defensively either, and they're doing some someone mentioned the other day that, you know the little league type errors in a fadful that cost them and and uh, it seems like you know hitting a lot of double plays and just the things that when it rains it pours uh type deal that you, when you get on the road but you know who's to know that starting off 0 and 3 and at Missouri losing that series has just affected them throughout and they haven't been able to get over it but the 1 and 9 mark on the on the road is really stands out to me uh as being something that is crazy because you know they did get the win in LSU. So you know the talent is there that they can go into an environment like that and win at least a game against the number one team, the number one ranked team of the country. But um, they have certainly had their games, and and you know this is what happens when you you feel like you know we're going to wait till this week. This weekend is going to be the weekend we're going to turn around, and then, and then it doesn't happen. And then it's well this weekend. You know when we get back home we're going to turn it around, and then it doesn't happen. And then the next thing you know you're at the midway point. And you're you're five and ten, and you're what seven games behind uh, your in-state rival in standings. That's what they've got to be looking at. And if and if you're playing them and you have a chance to make it up, you have a chance to potentially gain three games on Vanderbilt. But you also have the potential to be ten games out if they sweep you. So um, a lot on the line this weekend. I know that they'll be they will be primed and ready to go, and it'll be a great atmosphere and uh at that stadium this weekend but the boys just need to go on there level-headed and and i'm, I'm sure that they will and and you know flush last night what happened against indiana state and hopefully go with a full uh rotation we don't know anything about that yet but let's hope that they can get back on track and get those guys healthy
1: yeah from from a Tennessee standpoint... Um, you know they've still got a lot of arms. Now, the, here's the one thing: Beam. This has kind of been the quiet thing with them. Is Beam's not been nearly as effective? He's got he had a really yeah. good ERA in league play till last week, and then he gave up I think six in an inning and two thirds. So now at 4.95. But the problem with him, he's given up 10 unearned runs too. So the ERA says that's a that's a pretty good pitcher, but he's given up a lot of runners and a lot of unearned runs. Do had been near the same guy. Um I think he's better than what's shown, but the problem Bill Landers had is just getting through games efficiently. I don't know what to make of Burns. He's been awful. But he did pitch out of the bullpen last weekend against Arkansas and was really, really good, more like the Burns we saw a year ago. they still got other arms. They've got Lindsey and Halverson have been really good in league play, Uh, you know, Kirby Connell's thrown a lot of big innings for them over the, over the years and, and and been good. Xander um, Seacrest is a guy they could use in a pinch. They, they've still got plenty of good arms. It's, it's kind of confusing to look at when you, you see the, the inputs they've got and the results they've had. But the thing I'm wondering, they're going to be really fired up for this series for sure. But I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because this is a team that has just had so many – issues regulating their emotions when their backs were against the wall and I think you saw that that cost them the Notre Dame series last year that kept them out of Omaha and I don't know if if what happened the last couple weeks is, is a turning point at some point you got some mature leaders in the dugout that are able to to say, hey, this is – because I remember Ole Miss had the same thing last year. Ole Miss was 7-14, and although the circumstances were different in the SEC. All the talk there was they're making a coaching change. Obviously, that's not the conversation they're having in Knoxville right now. But Ole Miss lost a midweek game about this time last year to kind of a bad team, and it was a a lopsided score kind of like the one was against Tennessee Tech yesterday. And you're thinking it's all about to be crumbling down. Uh, and you know the rest of the story they they white knuckled it into the ncaa tournament and won the whole thing let me tell you this team's better than that team i think at least from a pitching standpoint it's a lot better so i think anything could happen but i just don't know what to make of it all i don't know if if tennessee losing that game yesterday the way it did to an awful tennessee tech team and by the way they threw 11 pitchers what's up with that I don't know yeah, if that's the best I, thing or the worst thing to happen, and like I don't know if that's the best thing or the worst thing to happen to Vanderbilt uh, losing that game to to Indiana State yesterday. It's just a a really strange setup, and I think if you're trying to read read this into it or that into it, good good luck in getting that right.
0: Well, you try to connect the dots. You know, two years ago they make it to Omaha for the first time in a long, long time. Vitello finally makes it. This brash team that you know does all the antics and has you know in the fur coats and they get eliminated they go home so then the next year is going to be their year right that they and they they just they just go on a rampage they're going to be the favorites and they win 50 something games and then they fall on their face and they lose to notre dame and then you say to yourself then they get a bunch of guys drafted and then you say all right well you know we've reloaded and and then otello gets suspended and you got some controversy with some recruits and finger pointing and all this stuff happens. And then you're five and 10 in the sec at the, at the midway point, you know, coach speak, you, as a coach, you try to do, there's different things you can do. You can, you can rally the players by, you know, uh, giving them support and defending them to the hilt. You can rattle the cage and you can like in, um, bull Durham, you can throw the bats into the shower and, Tell them they're lollygaggers and scare them, and which is one of the greatest scenes of all time of any movie, baseball movie, I will say. But no doubt. Um, And but when you can try that, you, you can challenge the players. You can challenge the players like Vitella did in Fayetteville on Sunday and question their toughness. And then when that doesn't work, what do you do? Um, yeah, there's just all sorts of things you you as coaches you try to do whatever is going to uh, get the reaction you want. But sometimes when you're not getting it, you just run out of things to do. But I do point back to that Ole Miss team. This team, Tennessee team, has the talent to scare some people if they get in. But the problem right now is they got to get in. And, and um, you know, that Ole Miss thing, I mean, you weren't. You mentioned they were, were talking about coaching change at Ole Miss. I mean, they went home in the SEC tournament when I think it was – I think we eliminated them, right, the first
1: game? Carter Holton, yes.
0: They were going to make a play. If you know the inside right. scoop, which is a whole other show, Ole Miss was – he was gone. And then they, they ended up going to uh, the tournament, getting in, and the rest is history, and they win the whole thing. So anything can happen, and um, the talent's there with them. But sometimes it's, it's the intangibles and what's going on behind the scenes that's more important.
1: When you're dropping all the movie references and lines, I was just waiting for for you to bring Hats for Bats out. I'm disappointed that it didn't happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a lot out there. I I still, you know, the natural and Bull Durham and all the baseball. I mean, there's just I watched them all and still can kind of quote most of the lines in them.
1: Hats for Bats. Keep Bats warm. Okay, (laughs) let's go to the mailbag. That's been warming for a bit. We've done an hour and seven minutes. Oh, goodness. Which I didn't expect, and we haven't even gotten to the mailbag. That's sponsored by Sutherland & Belk, a family-owned injury firm. If you or a loved one has been hurt in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Papa Hickvy, View asked some questions. Uh, we've hit some of these, but first one, most pleasant surprise.
0: Pleasant surprise as far as what category?
1: uh just with the baseball team as a whole.
0: Oh with the, but just the team in general. Um god at
1: 13, you know, 13, 13 and the, 2 was a surprise to me.
0: 13 and 2, yeah, when we we mentioned that, um uh I would say above all on a team aspect, I would say the record being 13 and 2 at this time. Um if you're looking for individual exploits, I did mention the fact that, you know, you had that Austin Diaz uh, Polk trio of guys who are who are playing play their way into positions to everyday starters and i think that's that's been a bonus um but i would say above those three on an individual basis and you talked about this and it was a great comment just you expect it out of shrek you expect it out of somewhat nolan that he's a veteran um bulger's been around a while but the fact that chris maltonato has stepped in this league and is batting 360 with 11 doubles 32 hits four homers I think he's got to be your offensive surprise of, of the season. I think he'd probably agree from what you said.
1: Okay, with the hardest part of the SEC schedule coming up, what's your prediction on the team's record the rest of the regular season?
0: You know, got to go to Gainesville, got to go to Knoxville, got Kentucky at home, got to go to Gainesville. So we're it's a it's not Ole Miss, Mississippi State, Georgia, um, you know, with 15 games to play, right? Um you know how many are home What's as far as the number of series is that
1: it's it's nine road games, three or six home games,
0: six home games, nine on the road um you know it, it's gonna be- t- Gainesville's gonna be tough um that's always tough to go down there N- this weekend's gonna be tough um You know, gosh, you put me on the spot. You put me on the spot last week, Chris, and and the mailbox put me on the spot here. But I said we'd take two out of three this weekend. I I was correct. On Friday night, I was ready to backtrack on that, knowing who we were going to have to pitch uh, after hearing the guys were going to be out. I I would say, yeah, I would say, you know, this team, I could see an eight and seven finish uh, going down the stretch, nine, six, I think would be really good based on where they got to play. Um, and, and somewhere in that, somewhere in that vicinity, I think it's not going to be the easy, easier games and a lot have to do with the way we played. I mean, you go down to Starkville and you put 26 runs on the board. That's impressive. I don't care how bad they are at that point in the season, Mississippi state, it's tough to do. Um, but I think a nine and six, uh, nine and six finish in the conference would put you gosh, 22 and eight, that'd be a hell of a season, a regular season. Um, eight and seven, nine, nine and six, eight and seven, it would be something that you wouldn't sneeze at.
1: Yeah, I had circled 21 and nine as their final SEC record before the South Carolina series. I had two wins coming against South Carolina. Again, I would have changed that pick. Knowing what was going to happen with Holton and, and Owen, uh, I, I would have been yep. right to have stuck with my original pick, but I'm I, I think eight and seven and it's conservative, but it just feels like a sweep is going to be hard for them to to pick off against anybody. And look, if they went up and got swept in Knoxville, I'm not predicting if 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 you put a gun to my head, I'm going to say they win the series. Just Based on being the better team, and they won the last time they were up there when that was a circus too. But I would be lying if I told you I have any any clue how that's going to turn out. And I mean, I I don't know. Eight and seven seems pessimistic given the way they've played. But again, you you look at what's to come, and it's it's a gauntlet.
0: Yeah, I don't think with Arkansas, Kentucky, Florida, uh, Tennessee on the in that in that range, I think that's. The summit. The way they played the first year, it might seem very conservative, but um, I think if you're if you can get out of this league with a 21 and nine record, that that's a that is a hell of a season um, in the SEC.
1: Let's see. The next question is, what's your take on the He never recovered or has he never recovered from his injuries to be effective? Does coach Tim Corbin look to him now just to eat innings and games or out of reach in order to save other arms for another day? Uh, That's that seems a little pessimistic to me. I mean, when the has been good, he's been really, really good.
0: Yeah, he, he has gotten the ball up in the zone uh, quite a bit and has been hurt by that. Um, that's the one thing I've noticed. You know, He's given up five home runs, which is close to the top of the team, and you've got Cunningham with seven, and you've got Futrell with six, and that's been his problem. Coming back from that injury, I mean, you, you look at the raw numbers, 31 strikeouts and 24 innings. So, you know, he he still has – the giddy up on his fastball, it's just, it, it, that, that thing takes a long time. That injury takes a long time to recover from. And it is not, you know, his took a little longer. And I mean, he was back, he is uh, probably academic wise. He's already graduated. I don't know. I mean, he's been here forever, but uh, the ERA is a little lofty. Yes. Um, 6.38, but, I think it's just a matter of time of him getting innings. He's thrown 24 this year and throwing him out there. But I do know the fastball has been up in the zone. That's where he's gotten hurt the most. Um, but you look at just the numbers of the strikeout walk numbers are really impressive. More strikeouts than innings pitch 31 to 24. Um, I think he just needs some time. I'm, I don't think he's um, somebody to give up on right now.
1: Okay, this also from Papa Hick. Any idea what happened on Polk's at bat last night? Was it a miss sign or just a complete brain freeze on his part in assessing the situation? I'm guessing it had to be missed sign because he doesn't he doesn't bunt.
0: Right, and and with the bases loaded, in general, that reeks of being a miss sign. You would hope, uh, because whether he just did yeah, just just misreading a sign or just. Doing on his own does not make a sense because he doesn't seem like he's the type of kid, yeah, who would bunt, especially with the bases loaded. And people say, why? Some people might, you know, all you got to do is step on home. You rarely see a safety squeeze or a suicide squeeze, bases loaded, because all the pitcher has to do, if he can feel it, is just flip underhanded. Catcher staying in front of the plate doesn't have to make the tag. So, um, not sure if that would have been a question you would have asked if you were there, Chris, <laughs> post game. Oh,
1: probably would have been.
0: well, uh, we wouldn't wouldn't have known, won't know. Uh, But um, it uh, definitely did not make sense to me.
1: Pepperdor, what's going on with Diaz? Last year, the feeling around here was he hit the freshman wall, which is understandable. But worryingly, he seems to be hitting some sort of wall in his sophomore year. How concerned should we be?
0: You know, I think he's in the spot defensively, uh, we talked about his errors coming in and he had a couple boots that first weekend and it was a few consecutively, as a matter of fact, and you worried about him, but since the change was made and he's uh, you know, they had the moving of Vastine and and yeah, he just moved the players around. I think that he's more comfortable there. At least the pressure's off him there, but I don't, you know, this league will eat you up. I mean, he's hitting 255, yes, and that's gone down slightly, but I still believe in the kid I, I don't i think you're gonna hit walls in this league I don't care if you're freshman sophomore junior fifth year player or whatever and and um i still like his approach at the plate i think he's um he, his aggressiveness i like it so i am I, you know yeah players are gonna hit different walls throughout the season who would have say calvin hewitt hit a wall at the early of the year he he started off like gangbusters and then of course regulated himself in, to the point where Polk took his spot and left but he's he still counted on and, and has enough staff. Not ready, again, at the halfway point. I think Diaz is still viable, and, and uh, I think it's too early to tell if he's hit some sort of wall. I think, I think big things of him uh, down the stretch here.
1: I'm trying to pull up what he did yesterday because I was I, I did not get to see for full disclosure much of that game because my son had a game. I was falling with on on Game Tracker, and every time I looked down, it was one mini disaster after another as I was checking that. Uh, let's see what Diaz did yesterday. He was 0 for 5, one strikeout. He was 0 for 4. With one strikeout on Sunday. He was 0 for 3 with one strikeout on Saturday. So that makes him, what, 0 for 0 for his last 13? Although he's put the ball in play. Yeah, there's only one strikeout last there, so. year. The, the game before that, he was 2 for 5 on Friday night with two strikeouts, and the hits were. Uh he had a double in there. And I I will say this, on Sunday's game, he got out in front of a changeup or something, and he and I was sitting next to the the track man guy or whatever they use and it was one ten off the bat. Um so of course it didn't count for anything, but he hit the ball hard in that instance, which is something. Uh you know, and, and another one that's been mentioned as a guy that may be hitting the wall was Austin. Well, let's not forget Austin was what a a foot away from a grand slam on Saturday too. So I don't know. Maybe they're hitting a wall or, or maybe it's just the the cycles of baseball and we're premature making a judgment. I guess I guess we'll know in time. But
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I just think it's uh you know, baseball's a game of failure, as we <laughs> the joke is, you know, you hit you're hitting three sixty two, you're failing six and a half times uh, out of ten rather than the success. So uh you know, it, it, it's a tough league. There's tough arms in this league, and adjusting at their age, it's it's just um, difficult task uh, that they're faced with each weekend.
1: Yeah, South Carolina also has probably a top three pitching staff in the league too. Oh yeah, yeah, top three, top. They, um, I mean, at least at least top four. I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put them outside the top four for sure.
0: Yeah, wasn't impressed with their fielding though. Goodness,
1: oh, that was a disaster. They,
0: yeah, booted the ball around there.
1: Old Jack Wagon, similar to Chris Lee's admitted frustrations, what is Chip's view of college baseball with a heavy tilt towards offense and all the noise and nonsense around bats, balls, et cetera? Do we see any effort on the horizon to take a step back to a more reasonable balance, or is this here to stay?
0: You know, I'm going to defer to you on that because I saw a tweet that you did uh, and um, your two cents on that. I mean, since you kind of attacked it over the weekend, I think he wrote a comment about there were different bat eras. And I know you were pretty disgusted with it. Saying, "Why don't you take that one?"
1: Well, look, this is this is not based on any information. Uh, it, you know, the, the NCA should have known in the off season it had a big problem with with offense and, and tampered bats and all kinds of stuff. Again, I talked to somebody at the NCA a year ago, and, and they were completely clueless, which is no surprise, probably. But I look at what happened last time; it was what around twenty thirteen. Where they they took it, and Major League Baseball is the same way too. Although Major League Baseball is actually getting some stuff right for a change, some stuff, not all of it. Um, MLB is going to have its own issues with offense too. They they made the they brought singles and steals back into the game, but but the ball is is also traveling, so that's going to be a nightmare for pitching. But last time this happened, what the NCA did is it it brought back a, a ball that I think had. I don't remember if it was more drag or what it was. They had the year that the, the really high seam baseball. And then you couldn't hit it out of the park with the sledgehammer. And and now, and and that's 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 kind of the NCAA for you. Like the bats were about this hot in in 2010 and nobody could pitch, and and they made it to where, you know, you it was ridiculous. That my guess is that's what they'll do. Like in a year or two, it'll it'll be back to something where um, you know, the the, the baseballs wouldn't get out of the park on a normal Aaron Judge home run swing. Um, and you see something absurd the other way. Because I, th- I thought baseball, you know, 2014-ish when they won the national title, I didn't really care for that product. I mean, you, you should be able to hit some home runs, and, and you couldn't hit one at all. Now it's just silly in the other direction. Uh, given the NCAA's track record to, to do something appropriately, I would my prediction would be they would overreact and ruin it the other way.
0: There's you know, you got to continually worry about the exit speeds off these bats. Yeah, which, you know, there's there's um, the the ball still comes off so super hot. And now they've, I understand they have like, do they have things in the press box that monitor that? Cause I know. That yeah, I'm,
1: I I usually sit next to the the track man guy, and it's not always okay. accurate, but it's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, generally, what happens is some you get a plethora of people getting hurt third baseman getting balls off their forehead and what have you. And, and you know, there's people react. Um, but yeah, it's, um, it's funny that you just think that just somewhere and wherever the baseball headquarters dungeon, there's this guy with a, with, a, you know, baseballs on shelves and looking at him, well, what are we going to do this year? I mean, it's just, but it's funny. I mean, they can, if people don't think they don't manipulate the ball, they do. I mean, it's a, it's just, you can tell, um, you can even tell by almost the sound off the bat whether balls are hot at a certain time certain years and not um, bats are hot. Um, They, they try to legislate all that. You don't, you haven't heard, I will say this. You haven't heard as much about the bats this year publicly. Um, I don't know if you have, I just haven't seen as many stories that about stickers. And I know that the umpires now are checking the bats before the game instead of, you know, two managers looking at each other and, Saying, oh, you good? Oh, yeah, are you good on these bats? I mean, the, the, the fact that they did that in the first place, I think, was ridiculous. At least now, from what I'm told, the umpires are, do, are part of that process as far as checking the bats. Is that what you've been told?
1: It, it is, and that is a, that is a yes, but... I still think you can take the stickers off. I mean, there's the thing out there about soaking it in water and then using a a blow dryer, and and that means any player could do it in any dugout, including Vandy's if they wanted to. Um, I have heard of stickers falling off at, at times this year. I mean, some something's going on. Either the bats are too hot out of the the wrapper or the balls. And I will tell you this: and and this series did not involve either of the teams uh, that we're talking about today, Vandy or Tennessee. But this was another SEC series that happened last week, and I heard of of there were eight bats, and this is an SEC series that failed the pre-series test. Um, flat spots were a big deal on some of the bats. Um, PSI was a deal with another one. But I think, here's the thing, you can still get them legal past the the pre-series test. And if you got time to tamper with them either that day, which I think that would be a stretch. But I mean, there there would would literally be nothing to prevent a team. And I'm not saying this goes on, but let's say my life depends on it and I need to win a couple of baseball games. You do the Friday night thing, you're you're probably going to be Playing with legal bats there, and again, I, I think seeing some of the scores you're seeing in game ones makes me think there's just a problem with the bats, even within regulation as it is that they're they're hitting the ball too hard. But you, if you throw tampering on top of that, Chip, there's nothing to stop me if I'm a coach or, or player of taking a you know a rolling machine or or somebody knows to how bats with you, and then after the Friday night game, um. Hey, here's my bat. Make it make it do that thing. Yeah. Uh, and then hitting with it Saturday and Sunday. I mean, this, the sticker's still on the bat at that point. And it's the yeah. same bat that got that got tested as legal. I just <laughs> think when when people want to cheat, they're always going to find a way. And I I just still think there's too many loopholes. Now, what I've been told. They used to have some, and I, I don't understand this at all. So don't ask me any follow up questions because I won't be able to answer them. They used to do something where bats were barcoded, uh, and I think this would have been, you know, after the the hot bat stuff around 2010, where they went to that, and that solved the issue too, where you couldn't get a tampered bat yeah. in the game. And that's what they well, need to do.
0: Yeah, and the other other solution would be go to wood, which we know there's cost. Right, we've talked about that in the past. Where. There's been talk about the uh, Major League Baseball perhaps subsidizing wooden bats for colleges and and making it so they can evaluate players better uh for their future and uh you know that's there's been talking about that for years but then what do you do on that do you just say it's a division 1 are you going to if is a major league going to uh supplement division 2 junior, junior colleges on down the line that's a lot of money but some some and talking Some teams here, Major League Baseball friends of mine, that they would really like to do that. That would give them, rather than just judging on what a kid does uh, in, in college, on the college circuit using the BB core bats, uh, they would see how they handle the wood. And of course, the offensive numbers will go down. And then you wonder with the crowd attendance, people like offense more than they like sitting around watching a three to two to one game or whatever. So there's there's some discussion out there, and you just wonder if eventually one day. The game will go to wood. That's a possibility. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say that it's impossible. You know, maybe in the not in the next year or two, but I think on down the line there'll be a push for that eventually to, for the game to go to wood.
1: Yeah, and I hope they do. Of course, then you can still cork a bat or pine tart or whatever. But but it's you know right. you're not going to see college players hitting balls four seventy and five hundred like you're seeing now right yeah. with wood bats. Yeah. So. All right, this is a this is the the question of the mailbag. This is the best one here, baseball bros. I didn't know this. How did you get the nickname Chip? As I see, your first name is Gerald. Usually, there's a good story behind a nickname and how it sticks to you for much of your life. I did not know you were a Gerald. I am absolutely
0: a Gerald. Um, in the 1970s, in the early 70s, in the 60s, I, from what I'm told, I wasn't born and. I was born in 1968, but Chip is a nickname when you're a chip off the old block. You're just like your old man. You're a a junior. So uh, Chip was, my full name is Gerald, and I'm the junior. My father, he played basketball at Vanderbilt um, in the 50s. So he was, you know, Gerald Frederick, and I'm the junior. And so not to have two Gerald's in the house, they just named me my nickname, which is Chip. It's not on my birth certificate. So Chip was a name in the seventies that if you were, you know, you were the junior, it was like Trey, if you're the third TR, you know, Trey trip. Um, some people in the, you call people, Hey, junior, they just call them junior, but I am a junior. I'm the second, you know, but they, Chip is just a nickname to differentiate that you're, um, you're, you know, you're a chip off the old block with the block being your dad. Like you're just like your old dad. So, and the, which is a compliment, love my dad. And, and the, saying that I'm like him is, is, um, I'll take that compliment, but that's, uh, that's how they did it. So you got a lot of chip. I don't know a lot of old chips. Like, I don't think there are many, you know, 80 year old chips in the nursing home. So you, it's definitely a 1960 to 75, 78. There were a lot of chips and I don't think you see them anymore at all. But I have several friends who are chip, but that's how, that's the origination. There you yeah. Have. That's what I now figured. you know the I've, rest I've, of the story.
1: <laughs> right, I've 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 known other chips and the explanation was the same. So. And are,
0: are they all in their 40s and 50s?
1: Uh, you know, I know at least one of them is probably in his 50s, maybe maybe 60s yeah, okay. by now. Well, chip not Hoback too many be chips around thinking
0: yeah. of. Yeah, 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 right, right. So he, but that's uh, that's the story about it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, so I'll be in an eight-year-old uh, chip one day, maybe. <laughs> let's hope i feel Uh, like uh
1: i feel like if we keep going you're going to be 80 by the end of this show (laughs) uh, i did not plan on this being an hour and a half but
0: well if someone's listening to this on their phone and they're driving to memphis you're halfway there
1: yeah and and god bless you if you got this far that's right all right chip um real estate give us what we need to know before you leave.
0: Yeah, I'll just make this quick because it has been a long show and uh, for those listening. But uh, Frederick and Clark Realty, speaking of uh, Jerry, Jerry Frederick, Gerald Frederick, my dad, he started the company in 1957 after he played basketball at Vanderbilt. And um, so he uh, started a real estate and insurance company, but we do our family insurance and real estate. And our real estate company, Frederick and Clark, we have two locations in Nashville and Brentwood. To help you with your real estate needs, you can check out our website at frederickandclark.com. Love to help you uh, with any of your selling needs or buying needs. You really need a professional these days with the market and the conditions. It's still a varying market up and down, still somewhat of a seller's market, but it's complicated, complex, and you need an advocate on your side to help you out. And that's where we come to play. So give us a call. You can call me personally, and I'll, I'll hook you up with one of our agents or talk to you personally about the market and your specific needs. But again, 615-327-4800, and you can find us on the web at frederickandclark.com.
1: Chip, thanks for joining us. We'll catch you next week.
0: All right, Chris. See you later.